welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Is you and I recognizing that God's grace ought to transform our lives. God's grace saves us. We ought to be so thankful for that. God's grace ought to even impact the, the way we relate to other people because God's been gracious to us. But God's grace isn't something cheap that we're to take for granted. God's grace is something that ought to transform our lives. God didn't save us by his grace to leave us just where we used to be and, and the way we used to be. Um, I'm going to give you a, a precursor this morning a little bit. Uh, my mind and my heart's over the hospital because of Gary, and I think maybe you'd understand that some. So uh, we may not do all the word studies and things I had planned to do uh, to try and expedite uh, that just a little bit uh, as far as me being able to get over there. Um, some people have already been asking me about my shirt, so I need to address that. Uh, <laughs> this shirt is a special shirt because it found its way to me all the way from Sturgis. Uh, one, one of our, uh, uh, guys at the church, Bruce was up there at, uh, Sturgis and he called me and asked him what size, uh, shirt that I wear. And, uh, I was a little bit apprehensive because he's a Harley guy. I'm an indie guy. I figured he's buying me a Harley shirt, uh, <laughs> up there and bringing it to me. Uh, and instead, this is what, uh, he brought me. And, and I thought, you know, I need to wear it, uh, t- today, uh, because, uh, he went to the trouble of bringing it all the way from Sturgis. But I also thought this, uh, a lot of times I don't feel much like I'm stomping on the devil. Do you, do you feel that way in your life? Do you feel like sometimes you let him stomp on you? I, I think a great secret of us stomping on him a little bit more is found in Romans chapter 6. And, and if we would apply the things in Romans chapter 6 that, that we started talking about two weeks ago and, and we'll finish up today, I think it'll help us win victories against him instead of allowing temptation and sin to win victories over us. We, we talked last, or two weeks ago, we, we talked about how we need to know something. In, in the first section of Romans chapter 6, Paul is telling us that we need to know doctrinally some things. We, we need to know how God himself views us. We may not feel like these things, but you see, that's not the important thing. The important is this. Doctrinally, if you know Christ as your Savior, God views you as though you died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were raised with Christ to walk a new life. And we need to know that doctrinally, whether you feel like it or not, that's how God views you as a believer. You died with Jesus. When you trusted Christ your Savior, you were raised with Jesus. Jesus paid for the penalty of your sins. Paul, Paul said, it's no longer that I that live, but Christ lives in me. He said he died with Jesus. And now we, doctrinally, we're alive with Jesus. But it's not enough just to know the way God views us. The, the second kind of buzzword, an important word in, in Romans chapter 6, is the word reckon or consider, depending on the translation that you're reading. We need as believers to begin to reckon or consider or see ourselves the way God sees us. 
Because if we will see ourselves dead to sin, if we'll see ourselves alive in Christ, then when temptation hits our lives, if we're reckoning what God says about us doctrinally to be true, if we're reckoning that, seeing that, considering that, applying that to our lives in a practical way, it can help us not only defeat the penalty of sin, Jesus did that for us on the cross, but it can help us start to defeat the power of sin in our lives. Uh, an illustration I gave you two weeks ago is this. I've never seen a corpse get up out of a coffin and sin. Have you? And if we will view ourselves like that, I died with Jesus. I'm now alive with Jesus, but I'm dead to sin. And I'm not going to allow sin to rule and reign in my lives any longer. Today, we're going to take the third step or the third instruction that Paul gives us in Romans chapter six, I think it help us gain more victory over sin in our lives as people that are saved by grace. And it's really this, it's you and I surrendering or yielding ourselves to Jesus. It's you and I yielding ourselves to Christ. We're yielding our bodies. We're yielding our, our lives completely to, to serve in Christ instead of yielding ourselves to serve sin. We need to know we died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. We need to reckon that to our lives. But those two things aren't quite enough. You and I need to be so appreciative of the grace of God. And so thankful for the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we now yield ourselves to serving Christ. We now volunteer ourselves to serving Christ. And you'll see how that, how that comes to play as, uh, as we go through uh, this passage of Scripture. We need to know we're dead to sin. We need to reckon and consider that. And we ought to demonstrate that we're dead to sin, alive in Christ. We ought to demonstrate that by the way we live our lives, by yielding ourselves to serve in Him. And, and think about this. Why would we not want to do that? If you know Christ as your Savior... If you've trusted in him, why in the world would we not want to yield ourselves to him? Why would you want to keep yielding yourselves to sin? Think about all that sin did for you. Here's what sin did for you. Sin killed you and sin condemned you. And it did that to the human race. That's what sin did for us. Doesn't sound like sin is a friend to us. If sin killed us and condemned us, why would we want to yield ourselves to sin? Instead, God saved us by his amazing grace through Jesus, him dying on the cross. God's raised us and given us a newness of life. And to me, if we'll weigh those things out, do I want to serve something that killed me and condemned me? Or do I want to serve the one that saved me and raised me to a new life and has given me eternal life? That ought to simplify the choice in our minds, which choice we ought to make and who we want to serve. As we... Uh, Go through this passage of scripture uh, this morning, finish up Romans 6. There's some main truths about yielding more completely to serving Christ instead of serving sin that can help us. And we're not doing it. I want you to be sure you understand this up front. We don't yield ourselves to Christ in order to do good work so we can be saved. We're yielding ourselves to Christ because we've been saved. Because we've experienced his grace. Because we know what Jesus did for us. That, that's why we're yielding ourselves. So to begin with this morning, yielding is a choice. 
It, it has something to do with our willpower. It's an act of our willpower. As we yield one way or the other, we're making a, a choice to do so. In Romans 6, verse 12, in the first part of verse 13, the apostle Paul says this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present, or the King James says yield, do not yield your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now in the Greek, it's really important a lot of times to pay attention to the tenses that the Holy Spirit, I, I think that's the reason, the whole reason why God chose things to happen that happened in history to where at the time the Bible's being written, the Greek language was being used in the Middle East because it's so descriptive and it helps us understand with clarity what's being said. Let not sin therefore reign in your body. We might read that and we think, I made a mistake, I sinned. You know, what, what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm a bad person now? Does that mean I'm not saved now? Well, the tense of it means this. Let not sin constantly rule in a fixed position. If you're a child of God, if you trust Christ as your Savior, we should not be allowing sin to constantly rule in our lives in a fixed position. Because that gives pretty good evidence that maybe we don't know Christ to start with. If sin is completely ruling and reigning in our lives, he's writing here to believers in Rome and he says, don't let sin constantly rule in a fixed position. He, he said to make you obey their passions. The word obey also uses that same tense. Don't constantly listen. Don't constantly hear underneath temptation. Don't constantly listen to that, the, the passion of, of temptation in your life. Don't heed that or obey the command of temptation or let that be authority in your life. He, he said, do not yield or do not present. And once again, it's the same tense. Don't be constantly presenting yourself. Look, look at what the word present means. It means to stand beside, to exhibit, to be at hand or ready to aid. In other words, as believers, we should not be constantly presenting ourselves, standing here saying, Satan, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. Temptation, I'm just waiting for you to come around so I can do what you want me to do. I'm volunteering myself. I'm standing here. I'm exhibiting myself. I'm ready to do what temptation wants me to do. See, that's not what we should be doing as believers. We should not volunteer ourselves like that. We should not be allowing our body to be used as instruments for unrighteousness. We should not be busy about sin. We should not be allowing our bodies to be a utensil, a tool, or an offensive weapon of war for unrighteousness or that which is unjust, that which is morally wrong or sinful. As believers, we should not volunteer like that. We have a choice we need to make. And as believers, we need to make a radical choice that we're going to stop volunteering for sin. That we're going to stop presenting ourselves to be available to sin. And you see, that involves our willpower. It involves you and I making a, a conscious choice to where we radically decide we're not going to allow sin to rule over our lives anymore. That we're not going to listen with obedience to the temptations of sin. That we're going to change our passions for God's passions. That we're going to refuse to stand by, to be at hand, to be ready to aid sin. The truth of the matter is this. He's talking about the members of your body. 
If you're a Christian, your eyes no longer belong to sin. Your heart no longer belongs to sin. Your mind no longer belongs to sin. Your hands no longer belong to sin. Your feet no longer belong to sin. Why? Because you've been bought and paid for with a price. Jesus paid for you on the cross of Calvary. So we should not be volunteering ourselves at all for sin. Instead, we need to make another conscious choice. Serving Christ is also a choice. But by serving Christ, we're doing this. We're yielding or presenting ourselves for his use instead of the use of sin. Pick back up in verse 13. He just told us what we shouldn't do. Now he's telling us as believers what we ought to do. But present yourselves to God as those who've been bought from death, been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He just said, don't present your body as an instrument unrighteous, and now he's telling us what we should do. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace by no means? Paul once again raises the question we looked at two weeks ago. He talks so much about God's grace abounding in chapter 5. The Holy Spirit of God knew how dark our hearts are as humans, and he knew that people would be saying, oh, if grace abounds all the more, let's sin all the more. And now he's telling us what then because we, uh, what then are, are we to sin uh, because we're not under the law but under grace? He's saying don't think like that. By no means think like that. I want to walk through those three verses just for a minute. I'm going to hit the highlights of some of the word studies there. Some of us already similar. Not to aid, not to volunteer ourselves to unrighteousness. Now he says, but on the other hand, contrary-wise, we need to do this. And, and here's a, a, another place the tense in the Greek is really important and comes into play. He's saying we need to once and for all make this decision. We need to once and for all as believers decide instead of standing over here saying, sin, I'm waiting to volunteer to help you. I'm waiting for you to use my body for unrighteousness. What we need to do as believers is make a once and for all decision. Now, let me, let me freeze that just for a moment in your mind. Making a once and for all decision does not mean that you'll never sin. It doesn't mean that you've made sinless perfection. It doesn't mean that you'll ever slip and fall uh, or anything like that. But it means this. You and I as believers need to have the mental attitude. We, we need to have the focus in our lives that we are saying once and for all, we've decided this. I'm not going to serve sin. Once and for all, I'm going to make myself available. Once and for all, I'm standing here for Christ. Once and for all, I'm exhibiting myself, waiting to aid him, waiting to be his tool, waiting to be his instrument, waiting to be his weapon of war. We're to make that as a once and for all decision. You see, here's how that will help you experience better victory in your life over the power of sin. If you're running over here saying, I'm available, sin. I, you know, Satan, I'm right here. I'm available. I, I'm, I'm listening to what you want me to do. I'm making members of my, my body available. If you think like that, what's going to happen? What we're going to do? We're, we're going to make the wrong choice. We're going to sin, aren't we? On the other hand, while we still are not completely perfect yet, as believers, we will be one day. Thank God when he appears, we'll be like him. But we've not arrived yet. Even though we may still slip and fall and have sin in our lives, if we will be living our lives with the attitude, with a radical focus that once and for all, 
We have said no to sin. And then once and for all, we're saying yes to Jesus. We're making ourselves available to him because he redeemed us by his grace. Because he died for us on the cross. We're volunteering to serve him. Our bodies are now his instruments, not the instruments of sin. If we will live our lives with that attitude, you know what I think will happen? We'll sin less. If you will be living with that attitude, radical attitude in your heart that you have lined up over here and you've decided you're going to volunteer to serve Christ. We're to make ourselves available to him. We're to be serving him. Verse 14 says, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. He uses the absolute negative. In the Greek, sometimes there's a a, a negative that's kind of a conditional negative. But here he's writing to believers and he's telling us and he's telling those believers at Rome that sin should no longer at all. He's using an absolute negative that we should not allow sin to have authority over us. That word authority is kind of an interesting word because it's the same word that's translated Lord in the New Testament. So you might get translated like this. If you're a believer, quit allowing sin to be Lord of your life. Quit allowing it to rule and reign in your life. Instead, as a believer, you made this conscious choice once and for all, because you've been brought from death to life, you've experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. You know, Jesus died for you on the cross. Once and for all, you've decided that you are not under the law, that that you're under grace. Something I thought of um, this week as I was studying this, for him to say, Art, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Do you understand if you're responding, if you're trying to live your life to being under the law, what happens is that it just confronts you with sin all the more. You recognize that? If you're trying to earn forgiveness, if you're trying to earn goodness or whatever by saying you're under the law, you're going to try and do all these things, all that does is bring you face to face with your sinfulness. If we would be over here living under grace instead, guess what happens? By us focusing on grace, we're brought face to face with him. (laughs) We're brought face to face with what he's done for us. We're brought face to face with his grace and his love. In other words, our motive ought to be to serve him. Instead of us rebelling against the law, we're confronted with the law. Now that we've been saved by God's grace, we ought to respond with obedience because of the grace of God. He says, perish the thought. Once again, don't think that because you're under the law, not under grace, it's okay to sin. He said, perish that thought. Don't allow that to be involved in in your mindset whatsoever. Instead, we need to have the mindset once and for all that we've decided we're using our willpower, exercising our willpower, that once and for all, we're going to serve Christ. Why should we do that? Here's a really deep thought for you. As someone's been saved by grace, if you know Jesus died on the cross for you, why should we surrender ourselves to be used by God? Here's how deep it is. Simply because we can. Simply because we can. Because before you knew Jesus, you couldn't. But before you knew Jesus, there there was no way 
for you to really do anything righteous. Before you knew Christ, you didn't have the capacity to serve righteousness. So instead of making ourselves available to sin, we ought to make ourselves available to Christ and exhibit ourselves ready to stand for him. See, the world that we live in, I understand that goes against the flow of the mindset in the world. Because people like to think, I'm a good person, I could do something righteous. Not when it comes to God's viewpoint. And not when it comes to understanding what righteousness really is from the standpoint of God. A lost sinner cannot do anything righteous as far as God's concerned. So why should we now, instead of volunteering to sin, come over here and say, God, I'm making myself fully available to you. Here's why. It's really, really deep. Because you can. You couldn't do it before. Now you can, so you ought to do it. Does that make sense? Well, we ought to exhibit ourselves and volunteer ourselves to, to serve him. And perish the thought of ever thinking that it's okay. For us to sin all the more because we're under, under grace. I want you to notice some reasons why what I just talked about should be true in our lives as a believer. Reasons why we ought to surrender ourselves to Jesus serving him instead of as believers surrendering ourselves, volunteering ourselves to serve sin. Here's the first reason why. You are a slave to what or whom you serve. You are a slave to what or whom you serve. Look what Paul writes in verse 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present your bodies to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom, of the, of, of, of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? And then he's writing to these believers in Rome and he starts to celebrate. He says, but thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching of which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now what he rejoices over these Roman believers, we ought to rejoice in our own lives. We used to be slaves to sin, but if you have trusted Christ as your savior, you've been set free. You've been set free now to where you can become obedient from the heart to the gospel teaching, to the gospel doctrine that he had taught those in Rome. We need to be obedient to the gospel doctrine. And since we've been set free from sin, we need to become slaves of righteousness. He said, don't you know this? Whoever you're volunteering to serve, same words. I'm not even going to go through all the word studies again this time. Same words we saw a moment ago. Whoever you are making yourselves available to, you're standing there, you're ready, you're going to provide aid. That's who you're really a slave to. So if you're over here constantly volunteering to serve sin, guess who your master is? Your master, you're allowing that sin to rule over you. Now, I, I understand, don't, don't, mis, don't misunderstand and jump to the wrong conclusion. I'm not saying when you come to Christ, we can wave a Bible over your head and all of a sudden all the addictions go away and all the struggles go away and all the problems go away. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying as a believer, you ought to have the mindset that you're going to quit volunteering yourself for that. And you ought to have the mindset instead that you're going to be volunteering yourself to be a slave or a servant of Jesus because whoever it is you're serving, that's who your master is. Think, think about this for a minute. Why would any slave, in literal physical slavery taking place in the world, why would any slave, once being set totally free from this mean old taskmaster that used to beat him, 
and make him work out in the hot of the sun all day and abuse him and everything else. Why in the world would a slave that's been set free decide this? You know what? I'm going to go back for more of the same. I know I've been set free. I know I don't have to, but I think I'm going to go back and let him beat me some more. I think I'm going to go back and work out there in the hot sun some more for no pay whatsoever. I think I'm just going to go back and do it. What slave would literally do that? So why in the world do we, as sinners, have been saved by grace, who trusted Christ as our Savior, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, why do we decide to go back and volunteer, go back and put ourselves under slavery or the old taskmaster that had beat us up so bad to start with? Why would we make that choice? Instead, we ought to be making the choice to serve Him. Would you also notice this in verse 19? As we think about why we should surrender to Christ because of the grace of God that we've experienced. Number one, you're a slave to whomever you serve. Secondly, you need to present yourself to Christ to serve him at least to the same degree you want to serve sin. I'm going to warn you up front, this one's going to hurt, okay? Look what Paul writes, what God writes through Paul under divine inspiration. All this stuff about slavery, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. So he's just saying, I'm using that as an illustration of stuff about slavery. Serving sin instead of serving Christ. Then he says this. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, lead into more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, lead into sanctification. I told you that's going to hurt. Here's, here's why it hurts. I want you to think about this. I don't know everything about you. You don't know everything about me. But what the Holy Spirit just told me through the pen of Paul, just as in the exact same way, I did all these things that were unrighteous. All these things that serve sin before I come to Christ. Just as I did that, he's saying, at least to the same degree, we need to serve Jesus. I want to give you a minute to let that stew around in your mind. I want you to pull out a set of scales in your mind here just for a moment. And I want you to think about everything you've ever done that's unrighteous. You there? Not fun to think about, is it? Now, I understand we need a lot more time than that to think about it. Now, I want you to put on the other side of the scale the things that you have done for Christ. I'm afraid for a lot of us, the scales are still out of balance. I'm afraid we did more for unrighteousness than we've ever done for righteousness. And Paul is telling us that you used to serve sin. Now, since you've been redeemed by God's grace to the same degree that you serve sin, to the same degree that you served unrighteousness, now we need to volunteer ourselves. We need to say, I'm standing ready. God, I'm joining your army instead of Satan's army. God, I'm over here and I'm volunteering and, I, and, and I'm wanting to serve righteousness at least to the same degree that I served unrighteousness.
Feel like you got a lot more stuff you need to do for Jesus? Huh? To kind of balance the scale out? He also tells us this in Romans 20 through 23. Now that we've been redeemed by God's grace, now that we've experienced God's grace, we can produce fruit that we do not have to be ashamed of. As believers, you and I can produce fruit that we do not have to be ashamed of. See, I just told you to weigh the balances. There's stuff there that should have made you feel ashamed a minute ago, right? When as a believer, you can do something different. You can produce fruit in your life that you don't have to be sorry about, guilty about, to carry around the shame of as a believer. To start with, I want you to think about impossible fruit for a minute. Impossible fruit. See, before we trusted Christ, we were free in regards to righteousness. Look what Paul says. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. He's saying you were unrestrained. You could go at your own pleasure. You weren't a slave or a citizen of righteousness. You were exempt from the obligation of righteousness. You might be thinking, how in the world can that be true? Here's why. Before you came to Christ, you weren't under an obligation of righteousness because you could not be. You're a lost sinner. You're a dead of trespasses and sin. You're unrighteous. The Bible says that no one does good, no, not one. Our world hates that. Because somehow in our humanistic way of thinking, we start thinking, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute, Bible. Wait a minute, God. There are things that I can do that are good. There are things that I can do that are even righteous. That might be true in your mind, but it's not true in the mind of God. Before you come to Christ, you cannot do anything righteous as far as God's concerned. You're not under the obligation of it whatsoever as a lost sinner. Now, I know that goes against the fur, but I'll give you a quote from Billy Sunday, who was a famous evangelist years and years ago. Someone went up to Billy Sunday one time because of the way he preached, and they said, Billy said, you rubbed the fur the wrong way. And Billy said, no, you need to turn the cat around. See, that's our problem in our culture. We need to turn the cat around. Quit thinking the way you think and think the way that God thinks. And and God says that you were free from it. It was impossible fruit. You could not bear righteous fruit because you were completely unrighteous. You were lost in your sin. I want you to think not just about impossible fruit, but I want you to think about shameful fruit. He said, when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? And the end of those things is death. What were you plucking? That's what the word means. What were you harvesting? When you were living for sin, what did you harvest? What were you getting at the time? And he's writing to believers, so he's saying, that's the things that you're ashamed of. Because the only thing that you get out of that, of harvesting that fruit of sin, the end of it is is death. Let Let me clarify it for you since he's talking about fruit. 
I, I grew up in an area of Wilkes County where they have apple orchards. So I'm used to being out in an orchard. I've hunted in them and things like that. If I were to take you out to an orchard and I were to tell you, uh, you know, you can go over here and eat at this tree. And yet there's a sign there that says, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Or there's another tree over here that I can say, here's another tree you can eat out of. And if you eat off of this tree, it's going to be very, very good for you. Which tree are you going to eat off of? If it's going to physically kill you. See, sin spiritually kills us. And the only thing we get out of that is death. It's really a tax term that's used when you study it all the way out. The, the word for uh, the, the, fruit, the, the fruit of sin ends in, in death. The end of these things is death. The very last part of the word study as you study it out means to impose a, a levy or a tax. I, I don't like paying taxes. Do you guys like paying taxes? I know it's needed for things, you know, for the things that we have in our, in our nation and things like that, but I still don't like it. Years ago, I used to like it when my kids were young and we just bought a house and things like that because I was getting some of your money back that you were having to pay. Now my kids are grown and now I'm having to pay all the time and some of you are getting my money back that I have to pay. But the only tax that sin pays is death. The only levy that sin pays is death. So instead of bearing shameful fruit, things that you're ashamed of in your life, now that you're a believer, instead you can bear holy fruit. Holy fruit. The fruit of sanctification and eternal life. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin. That simply means this. Now that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Now that you have experienced the grace of God. Now that you're no longer under bondage to sin. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves, instead of sin, you become a slave of God. You're standing there ready to volunteer for him. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. It's a fruit that sets you apart as being his. And to eternal life, ultimately in the end, is a fruit. And I want you to notice the way that's phrased. The fruit you get. It doesn't say the fruit you pluck. It doesn't say the fruit that you're harvesting. And here's why. You and I, by our own works and actions, cannot harvest this fruit of eternal life. We can't harvest this fruit of sanctification. It is a fruit that Jesus earned for us. It is a fruit that Jesus bought for us. And Jesus offers this fruit freely. I want you to think about death for a minute. I know it's not fun. Go on past the word studies, Gene. I want you to think about deadly wages. And that's the earnings from sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The words of military world that talked about the, the step and the pay that a soldier would receive. The wages of sin is death. The word studies earlier. Are you going to keep standing over here as a believer saying, I'm standing by, I'm waiting, I'm ready, I'm making myself available, I'm exhibiting that I'm available for sin? Or are you going to say, because of God's grace, because Jesus died on the cross for me, I'm dead to sin, and instead I'm making myself available, ready, exhibiting that I'm ready 
to be used by God, the instruments of my body to be used for God, for his righteousness. It's like you're joining one army or the other. If you join the army of sin, the only pay it gives is death. Instead of good fruit in your life, it'll just be bad fruit in your life as a believer. If you're someone that's never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is the army that you're a part of over here. And the only wage you get out of it is death. I know when soldiers and armies go to war, people die. But how would you like to be part of the army that you know up front, everybody's going to die? Nobody's coming home. And that's what happens when you stay in sin. That's the only wage that's paid. Instead, we need to say... I'm joining God's army. I'm making myself available to him. I'm his volunteer. I'm his slave. I want him to use me for his purposes. Because instead of deadly wages, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you get this free gift. A free gift. A free gift is not something you can work for. A free gift is not something you earn. If you work for it and you earn it, that means somebody owed it to you. God doesn't owe eternal life to any of us. God chose, that's why it's grace. God chose by his unmerited favor. God chose by his grace to send his son to die on the cross. God chose to offer us salvation. Though the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord, the divine gratuity, the deliverance, the spiritual endowment, the the favor that God grants us is perpetual, eternal, everlasting life that comes about in a fixed position of rest in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one whose name Jesus means God saves, Jehovah saves. And through that, through trusting in him, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one that's in supreme authority, by us trusting in him, he gives us freely because of his grace, the gift of eternal life. It boggles my mind and has for years how some people get in their mind, I trust Jesus as my Savior, but now I've messed up and I've sinned and I'm lost again and somehow I have to be saved again. Tell me where eternal life fits into that. Tell me where a free gift fits into that. You see, you're not saved by your performance. You can't become lost by your performance either once you're a Christian. You are saved by God's amazing grace when you trust Christ as your Savior. And he gives that to you as a completely, totally free gift. It will help us gain victory over sin in our lives. It'll help us to do it doctrinally if we know something. If we know how God views us, and if you're a Christian, whether you feel like it or not, if you're a Christian, God views you like this. You died with Jesus, you're raised with Jesus, you have a new life that's an eternal life. That's how God views you. The second word in Romans 6 is the word reckon. We need to consider that. We need to count that to ourselves, the way God views us. We need to see ourselves 
how God views us. And as we see ourselves, how God views us in a day-to-day basis, and we see ourselves dead in sin as God views us, that will begin to help us have more victory over the power of sin in our lives. Jesus took care of the penalty of sin forever, but by us reckoning how God views us, it'll help give us victory over the power of sin. But knowing and reckoning is not enough. We also need to yield. We need to quit volunteering for the wrong army. We need to quit volunteering for sin. We need to make a once and all decision decision that we're going to serve Christ. That that's going to be our attitude, our radical attitude, that we're going to serve Jesus. Close, I want to use Lazarus just for a second for an illustration. You remember who Lazarus is? Lazarus was sick, about to die. Jesus intentionally waited for a while before he went to raise him from the dead because he knew what he was going to do. Jesus arrives after he's dead and buried. Everybody's crying. Jesus cried. Jesus said, where have you laid him? Take me and show me. They get over there and Jesus says, take the stone away. The sisters get worried. He's been in there long enough. He's starting to stink. We're going to be embarrassed by this. But Jesus called Lazarus to come forth. I heard an old preacher say years ago, if Jesus had not said Lazarus, everybody in the cemetery would have got up. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. All-powerful God in the flesh. But Lazarus comes forth, but when he comes forth, man, he's not walking like this. He's got his grave clothes on. He's walking like this. So Jesus says something else. Loose him and let him go. See, the problem with a lot of believers is this. You're still walking around with your grave clothes on. You're still walking free in the grace of God. You're still lying that guilt of your past and everything. And, and, and you're still volunteering over here to serve sin and things like that. Not just, you know, where you happens every now and then or whatever you're you're constantly letting sin rule in your life and and god said don't do that through the pen of the apostle paul quit surrendering yourself to sin instead surrender yourself to serve me but a lot of believers are still walking around like this guilt of the past whatever it might be that's keeping you bound up and tied up you need to know how god views you You need to reckon how God views you. You need to yield yourself to Him and walk around like this in God's grace. Walk around free instead of allowing yourself to be bound up. Paul also wrote this in Ephesians. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. He's saying, put all that off, cast it off. It's like you change your clothes. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We ought to do that because we're saved by grace. 
You don't do that in order to be saved. You do that because you're saved. You do it to yield yourself more to Jesus. To where we look like what we know and we look like what we reckon because we're yielding that in in our lives. I want to show you a quote real quick by uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He's a theologian from years ago. And I read this quote this past week, and I thought, man, I I really like it, and I want to close the message with it. I just felt compelled to. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. You responding to the grace of God has some cost to it because it doesn't call you just to stay where you are. It calls you to get up and follow Jesus. So God's grace will have some cost for you. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Think about that. I couldn't do it before, but I can now because of God's grace. It's God's grace that I could think about following his son. That I could even imagine trying to follow his son in anything. It's God's grace. It's costly because it cost a man his life. Jesus died on the cross. It's grace because it gives a man the only true life, the only way to receive true eternal life is through Jesus. It's costly because it condemns sin. And grace because he justifies the sinner. God looks at us as though we're innocent, as though we've never sinned when we trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what costs God much cannot be cheap for us. What he's saying is this. When you're saved by God's grace, don't cheapen God's grace by thinking it's okay to sin. It's okay to volunteer for unrighteousness. Don't cheapen the grace of God by saying, well, I'm going to heaven so I can do anything I want to do. That cheapens the grace of God and that fails to do this. That fails for you to see Jesus suffering on the cross for that sin. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. That's Christ. God delivered his own son to suffer and die in my place and your place. And if you know that grace, if you've experienced that grace, why not yield yourself to him? Why not serve him in God's righteousness instead of volunteering all the time to serve unrighteousness? Let's pray. God, forgive us when we make your grace cheap. Forgive us when we act like because we've been saved by grace, it doesn't matter that we choose to sin. Father, help us to not even generate that thought, to perish that thought from our minds. Father, I I thank you for this series that we've been in of grace. God, your grace is so deep and so wonderful, we we can never, ever explore it all. And in in a series of sermons, no matter how long, no, no matter how huge, Father, I pray you help us to know 
the way you view us. That you view those of us that know Christ the Savior as dead to sin but alive in Jesus. God, help us to reckon that, to consider it, to see it, to apply it to our lives on a day-to-day basis and gain victory over temptation in our lives as we see ourselves dead to sin but alive in Christ. But Father, help us also to take today's step. Help us to make a choice of our willpower. Help us to make a conscious decision that we're going to stop constantly volunteering our lives for things that are against your will. That we're going to make a radical decision that we're going to stop standing ready to aid temptation, ready to aid unrighteousness. Father, help us make a conscious decision instead, once and for all, that we're going to live our lives with a radical attitude that we belong to Jesus and we're going to live for Jesus and we're going to stand by, exhibit ourselves, make ourselves available for Him. God, we're on display for You. Father, we're wanting You to use our bodies as Your utensils, Your tools, Your your weapons in this world. Father, I pray if there's anyone joining us today in this in this building that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray, Father, that you'd help them to understand you love them so supremely, you put your son on the cross. And you're willing right now to save them, not because of who they are or what they've done. You're ready and willing to save them in spite of who they are and in spite of what they've done. Because you love them so much, you put your son on the cross. Give them the faith they need to believe in Jesus at this time. Father, help them to admit to you they've sinned and they can't save themselves. Give them the faith they need to trust in Jesus. And Father, give them the assurance of your grace and everlasting life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not today? Why not now? God loved you that much. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.